It's the monkeys. And for centuries, these people have simply taken a gourd and they've whittled out a little hole and they put something inside the gourd that the monkey would want. And then they chain the gourd to a tree or some other fixed object. And that monkey cannot get his hand out of that gourd. And as long as he holds on to it, he is caught. And so my question this morning is, what are you holding on to? Because you're actually free. You just got to let go. Hey, it's Charlie. Thanks for listening to the Encouragers United podcast. The following is a short sermon clip from a message that I recently preached at Walnut Creek Mennonite Church in beautiful Holmes County, Ohio. For more information about the church and our ministry, please feel free to search for us on Facebook or Instagram or go to our website, wcmenn.org. In most of the days of yours and my life, they're very ordinary, aren't they? There's probably little to distinguish one from another. Plenty of historians will be able to tell you that all kinds of powerful and painful things have happened on certain days. We have those days, perhaps, that are more memorable than others in our lives. Our birthdays, perhaps. The day that a loved one has passed away. Something traumatic or joyful that happened on a particular day. But the day before us today, in this text, has the distinction of being both a day of intense evil, but intense triumph over evil as well. There's no other day in history that rises to the level of the day that Jesus was crucified. Soon we will be describing the celebration of that day as Good Friday. Good Friday. Hmm. It's infamous because the Creator was put to death by the creation. It was a famous day in the annals of our history as Christ's followers because it is the day that the power of Satan was broken forever. The sin and the pain that we've experienced in our lives, the sin and pain that we've caused others, it's all dealt with at the cross. I have two aspects of the crucifixion this day that I want to deal with. The place that that happened and the pain that it caused. But this message is sort of incomplete. And so we'll deal with the place and the pain today. But next week, I want to deal with the power. So first, let's deal with the place called Golgotha. This place of the crucifixion itself. This place was a very prominent place. Golgotha was called the place of the skull, or in Latin, simply translated Calvary. That's where we get that word, Calvary. That's the place on top of this rocky ridge. There are actually pictures where you might see rocky formations that look like a skull, a human skull. This place was probably also littered with the skulls of people who had passed away, who were crucified here in this place. And this place was a place of offense because it took place on what's called the Temple Mount. Some of you noted that from my video uh, nugget this week in our news email. The Temple Mount was the place 
here you see in Jesus' time of this ridge. It's a raised area where the temple, you see that in the upper right-hand corner here, outlined. And then I don't have a pointer, but if you just go right straight, in essence, west of the temple, you'll see a traditional location where it is believed that Golgotha was on this temple mount. A short walk from the temple, Golgotha was an offense because it was the place that the Romans had decided to kill people as a desecration and an offense to this holy, holy mount. It was a prominent place. You could walk through the eastern or the western side of this. There's some pathways there and you could look up to see what was happening on top of this mount. That's why it's sometimes called the Mount of Calvary, the Mount of Golgotha. It was a prominent place. It was obviously a prominent place because of its location. Everybody knew what was going on that day because they could walk by and see. It was, in fact, on a main thoroughway that if you do your research, you'll see that the reason that they placed it there was to be a testimony to anyone who was walking on that path what the fate would be if you were a criminal. Let it be seen very prominently that this is what we do to people who wrong us. So it was very prominent because of that location. And since it was the Romans' practice to allow the bodies of the crucified to just rot on their crosses, you can believe that the people of Israel knew this place quite well. But the beauty and the irony of this is what I want to test and, and teach you this morning, is that it was, it was a prominent place because of its location, but it's also a prominent, prominent place because of its history. You see, if you keep your finger in there at Matthew, you might turn back to 1 Kings. 1 Kings 5.5, 5, this mountain that is being defiled by this Roman uh, government was a very special place for the Jews. You see, this hill was a part of the same ridge upon which the original temple itself was built. The earliest temple was built on this same location during King Solomon's reign. That's 957 B.C. 957 B.C. Over a thousand years of history culminates in this place of sacredness. Kind of makes our 160 years here at Walnut Creek seem kind of puny. This was a very prominent place for the Jewish people because it was a location that was sacred to them. These are the words of Solomon himself. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I will put on the throne in your place, will build the temple for my name. And in an act of worship, Solomon completed that temple on this same location, this temple mount. What a powerful, powerful picture. And so it was prominent because of its location. It was prominent because of the history in these rocks. The very rocks that Christ bled upon, perhaps. But it was not only a prominent place, but it was a prophetic place. I just went crazy hog wild with my, with my acronyms and P words this week. It's a prophetic place. Catch this. This was the Temple Mount. The place. The same place where Abraham was tested in sacrificing Isaac. 
You remember this story? It's found in Genesis 22. I'm not going to have you read it uh, necessarily. I won't put it up on the screen, but I just want to quickly read this little story. It's Genesis 22, starting in verse 5. We find the story of how Abraham was commanded to offer up his son Isaac, his only son, that he had waited so long for, as a burnt offering to God. Genesis 22, 5. He said to his servants, Abraham said, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it upon his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to the father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered him, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together, and when they had reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he said. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. A couple of key verses in that uh, little text or paragraph here. Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. They went on top of the temple mount. This is the location where this interaction happened. And it only just caused me a lightning bolt of remembrance to John 3, 16. Everybody knows this. But before God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. And we read it in Genesis twenty-two fourteen. He says, So Abraham called that place, The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And to this day it's called, On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Amen and amen. It's been provided. What a powerful, powerful interaction. Not only because of its prominence, because of its location, but its prophetic nature that there God would provide the burnt offering, the sacrifice for all of mankind. On the mount of the Lord it will be provided. In this ancient prophecy telling us that God would indeed give His Son on this very mountain, in this very place called Golgotha a place that the Romans chose to execute all their criminals to dispose of those who had committed crimes punishable by death. Hmm. God not only takes this symbol, the cross, an icon of shame and ridicule and discipline and destruction in the time of Jesus, he flips it. He flips it. He uses the very place of that execution 
and provides for you and I. But it did not come without a cost, as we've experienced. So it had prominence, but it also had pain. And this is where we get into the more the meat of what was actually going on spiritually, emotionally, physically for the Lord Jesus. The pain of the cross included immense physical pain. And yes, as Conrad pointed out, he endured physical pain. Think about it. Of course he did. The book of Luke simply says, and they crucified him. That's it. They came to Golgotha and they crucified him. Four words. And those four words do not even touch the immense pain that Jesus endured on that cross. Consider the fact that before he had even arrived at Calvary, Jesus had been awake all night. He'd been through at least four confrontational trials, which we've taught about. He's been beaten by the Jews, ridiculed, beaten by the Roman soldiers, flogged, whipped by Pilate. He's endured the horror of the Roman discipline. He's been mocked, ridiculed, spit upon, slapped, and made to carry his own cross. Just like Isaac. An act of horror, uh, an act of horror that anything you and I could never imagine. Then they crucify him. What is crucifixion exactly? Think about it. Medical doctors will provide this physical description generally. The body bleeds out. There could be hours of unbearable pain, cycles of twisting and cramping, asphyxiation, searing pain from those nails driven into our flesh at just the right spot. And all the other wounds and lacerations that he could have endured all over his body, including that crown, piercing his brow. And then another agony begins because a deep crushing pain probably arises in the chest as the pericardium slowly begins to fill with fluid, which begins to compress the heart, which limits the amount of blood that can even be pumped. And the loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, viscous blood through the tissues. And the weakened lungs finally gasp in small amounts of air. And finally, the body cannot continue. And death occurs. What love is this? That he endured that physically because of what I've done, because of what you've done. You see, sin carries with it often a physical pain. Some of you, I know, have experienced that physical pain. The pain of abuse. The pain of violence. Trauma. But you hold on to Jesus today because He knows your pain. He knows your pain. Jesus knows that pain and even worse, He died for that pain. But Jesus didn't just endure physical pain. Think of the passage we read. He endured emotional pain as well. And Jesus endured the physical agony. At the same time, those who were there at Golgotha that day made and said and did horrible things to our Lord. And I believe the shame and the hate that they proposed and said to Him made the pain even worse. The soldiers who had nailed Him to the cross gambled over what was left of His possessions, His clothes. The people walk beneath Him and they mock Him. The religious leaders ridicule Him. This beaten, broken, unrecognizable figure hanging on that cross. Even the two other criminals crucified with him for their own crimes 
curse Him. And no one understands. Not one person understands. They all mock Him and challenge Him to save Himself. And when He, in fact, is suffering for those very people, us, He's suffering for you and me. A great deal of pain. The pain that we've, we've endured in our lives emotionally. The pain that some of you, I know, all of us have endured. That pain is emotional pain. And Jesus died for that pain. Yet Luke records in a beautiful picture that as Jesus lived his last moments, he looked down upon this crowd, even in spite of the physical torture, even in spite of the emotional shame and ridicule, the misunderstanding, he looks down from the cross. And what does he say? Father, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. What a model for us to live by. Let's consider the emotional pain of someone else's sin against you. Did they do it on purpose? They didn't know what they were doing. And if you've accepted God's forgiveness for the things that you didn't know you were doing, this is Jesus' example. And that this would be the only way that we could ever bring ourselves to the point of forgiving another person is to accept the forgiveness ourselves. Our sin carries with it tremendous emotional pain. We've caused pain in other people's lives. And others have caused pain in our life. Some believe it's just part of being human. Jesus, as the sacrificial Savior, takes on that emotional pain of both our sin and the sin of those who've hurt us. But that's not all. He not only endured the pain in a physical sense, in an emotional sense, but He endured a physical pain, a spiritual pain, and an emotional pain. And when I refer to this enduring of the spiritual pain, I want you to think about that moment where God turns away from Jesus. I'm referring to that moment in time when Jesus cries out, My God, why have you forsaken me? And literally became the sin of the world. On the cross. You see, we read about that in Paul's writing, 2 Corinthians 5. He's coaching this Corinthian church to understand the gravity of our own own sin and the gravity of God's sacrifice for us. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. I read it there during our song, My God. My God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus, even in His pain, physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, He's prophesying to us. He's living Psalm 22. That's the first line. Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out day. But you do not answer by night find no rest. We've all felt this. I know I've felt this. There have been crushing pain and disappointment and hurt in my life. And at that moment, I've had the spiritual experience, I hope you have too, where I said, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cuddles up to me and He says, it feels like you feel like your dad has turned away from you. And I said, yes, that's exactly what I feel. He says, I know. It's my dad turned away from me. But hold on. Hold on. I'm here for you. He says this. He cries out in anguish. He infers the entire psalm. You can read it this week. 
It's powerful stuff. The moment people are observing, they say, Oh, wait a minute. He's calling down Elijah. No, just leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes. (laughs) God judged him as if he were every sinner that ever lived. God judged him as if he were every sinner that ever lived. And somehow all of our sins were transferred to him. Upon him on that cross. And he, the last Adam, became sin. And he was judged in our place. And in essence, God followed through with what he had originally asked Abraham to do. He plunges that knife into his own son to be the sacrifice for you and me. Do you get that this morning? Can you grasp that? You don't need to plunge that knife into someone who hurts you. Don't do it. You don't need revenge on that person who wronged you, who betrayed you, who denied you. Love them like Jesus loves them. Love them like Jesus loves them. Doesn't mean you forget. You love like Jesus loved. There's a powerful illustration that I recently heard that's so good. It's just so good. I can't stand it. When you live in tropical or jungle environments, okay, people in those environments have nuisances. It's the monkeys. The monkeys are nuisances in those climates and in those areas. Kind of like rats or possums or groundhogs around here. And for centuries, these people have simply taken a gourd or a coconut and they've whittled out a little hole inside that gourd. And they put something inside the gourd that the monkey would want. And then they chain the gourd to a tree or some other fixed object. And that monkey cannot get his hand out of that gourd unless he let go. He wants that item inside the gourd. And as long as he holds on to it, he is caught. And so my question this morning is, what are you holding on to? Because you're actually free, monkey. You just got to let go. What do I mean by that? Do you follow me? I want you to know that place. The place in the pain of your own sin. God's love expressed through the sacrificial love and the death of Jesus is the key that will open your lock today. Don't stay trapped. Some of you have had your hands stuck in that coconut for years. I know that pain. I did too. I still do struggle sometimes. Forgive yourself and let go. Jesus does. Forgive that person. Let go. Jesus does. And I want you to know that place. In the next two weeks, we're going to dive into the power of Jesus' death. The power of His resurrection. And they're both important aspects to consider. They lead us to the place of the pain of our own sin. And the sin that affects this world every day. But Jesus breaks that power. He allows us to let go. I've come that they might have life and to have it even more abundantly. And those who God sets free are free indeed. There's undoubtedly the pain of the cross, but there's also the power of this moment, this infamous day in history when the debt was paid in full. We're going to get there next week when he says, It is finished. Amen. Hallelujah. Abraham Kuyper is a famous and powerful leader in our world. He was the Prime Minister of the Netherlands from 1901 
1905, a compatriot of William McKinley in our presidency here in the United States. But he said this. He said, the cross of Golgotha is and remains the highest point of a particular grace. And nevertheless, it was Golgotha where human wickedness was manifest most atrociously. Friends, has the Jesus of history died on the cross for you today? Has this cross, this death, this crucifixion become personal for you? His death only has value for you if you're willing to personally accept it, to receive it, and to live in it every day in every way. If you don't believe this, it has no meaning to you, right? But if you do believe it, it has all meaning to you. And are you living like this is true? Worship team, come on up here. We're going to sing a song. I just kind of did these uh, bookends on this message. We're going to sing another powerful, powerful song. By the time we start verse 2, I want you to stand up and sing with us because you won't be able to stay in your seat. But it expresses the power of God's love, the depth of His love. To overcome your physical and your emotional and your spiritual pain. To reflect and ponder that Jesus knows our pain. Whatever He's doing in your heart today, just let go and let Him do it. Respond to Him this morning and say thank you. Thank you. I'm letting go. Because you've broken the power of that sin in my life. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening. The Encouragers United podcast is only a part of the ministry I'm developing with high-energy, positive-minded encouragers like you. We have several other resources for you. I would love for you to join our Facebook group, Encouragers United, for discussion, idea sharing, and testimonies. I also host a Facebook Live each week. It's called Tuesday Tea with Charlie G., We spend just 15 minutes together over a cup of tea or coffee. I'll share some laughs, thoughts to hopefully inspire you, and perhaps some teaching and resources you can use to make your life better. I also host a web blog with helpful written information, resource links, and an occasional video. Feel free to check that out at charlesrgrimes.com. Please subscribe, like, and share my work with those that you feel could benefit. I want you to grow and mature in your encouragement gifts. Join the community. We're in this thing together.